Karen is the proven expert in addiction treatment. A recent independent study showed that 94% of Karen patients were still in recovery 90 days post-treatment. Visit CARON.org slash real. Karen, real results, real care, real about recovery. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Fantasy Football Addicts podcast. As always, my name is Mung. And it's the Los. Hey, everybody, welcome to season two of the Fantasy Football Addicts. Yeah, and, uh, you know, it's only mid-July, but as you know, we are all addicts here, and as are you if you are listening to this. So today, we're going to go over some way, way, way too early redraft rankings for the 2016 season. We've got the itch. What can we say? That's, uh, that's about all there is to it. Yeah, so definitely these are going to be subject to change as we get more news out of training camp. You know, different rookies and other players are going to be moving up and down the depth charts. And as we all know, injuries will happen. I don't know. I, I feel pretty good. I, I'm feeling a little bit like Lostradamus. I don't think my ranks are going to change at all. Well, good luck to you then. Um, <laughs> all I know... <laughs> All I know is I'm going to draft what seems to be the perfect team in about a month, and then a week later, everybody's going to go down, and I'm going to be screwed. Yeah, that, uh, that's, that's the way the cookie crumbles sometimes. That's preseason football. Sometimes I wish they just wouldn't even play the preseason games. Yeah, it just seems like it's so meaningless, but uh, you know what? The NFL needs its cash, and I guess we get our fix a little bit earlier. That is right. So uh, let's 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 head right into it. What position you want to start on? Well, I, you know, we looked through our rankings, and basically, what we want to do this show is just kind of go through a few players at each position that Los and I kind of differ on in our rankings. Uh, so sure. you know, starting with quarterback, we can kind of breeze through that because it looks like uh, it looks like we're pretty we're pretty similar in our rankings for most of the quarterbacks. The only one I want to bring up real quick is Drew Brees. Los, where where do you have Brees? Yeah, way to bury the lead on that one. Breeds right through it. Um, I've got Drew Brees actually at quarterback three this year, which might sound a little crazy. Of course, he's aging, uh, but this he he's been as accurate as ever. He's still a very good quarterback. He had a very good year last year, and he just may have the best group of receivers around him that he's seen in a very long time. You know, obviously three is a little bit high, but I've got Breeze at five, so I, I really can't argue with that. And looking at Drew Breeze's career since he joined up with Sean Payton in New Orleans, he's averaged almost 4,900 yards a season, 35 touchdowns. You can't really go wrong. And, and as you mentioned, he certainly added new weapons with Kobe Fleener, Michael Thomas, and he's got a healthy Mark Ingram back. Absolutely. And, and as much talk as there is about Brandon Cooks, Willie Sneed looked phenomenal last year. And a main point here is the addition um, of Kobe Fleener. We thought maybe Josh Hill would get something going last year, but Kobe Fleener gives them a bona fide tight end that can catch the ball, make plays. Um, he's no Jimmy Graham, of course, but it's a significant upgrade. Sure, and Kobe Fleener will drop plenty of passes, but fortunately that doesn't impact Drew Brees that much. No, he can move the chains. Heck, he can even throw the ball to Mark Ingram to move the chains. Very underrated pass catcher out of the backfield. And let's not forget C.J. Spiller, who we loved last year. Oh, I don't even want to hear that guy's name. He's, <laughs> he's dead to me. He, he shouldn't. Be, I, that's all. Never mind. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll see what happens in training camp. Maybe Spiller will get a little bit of hype. Who knows? Yeah, who, who knows? That, that's why they play the games. That's why they have training camp. But uh, Tim Hightower is still on that team. 
Yeah, uh, well, okay, Let's. that's enough about Drew Brees and quarterbacks. Uh, again, quarterbacks after the top five or six, uh, there's really a lot of ways you can kind of rank them. Uh, they're very, very similar, and definitely weight on quarterback is going to be another popular approach this year. Um, so why don't we move on to running backs? I know that you took issue with me having Ezekiel Elliott as high as I do in my ranks at number two in running backs. Yeah, why don't you explain yourself a little bit? Because I, I to to me, this is a little bit insane. I, I've seen some of the rankers out there put them at four, three, things like that. Well, no, I, I don't think I've actually seen a three. I don't think I've seen anything quite this high. That's fair. And to be completely honest with you, you know, he's not a sleeper because in, in normal drafts, his ADP right now is already in the first round. But honestly, I don't think it's all that insane to have Zeke at number two. So I would argue that he can do exactly what DeMarco Murray did in 2014, and that is to be the top scoring fantasy player for the season. So obviously, a lot of you know this already, but Dallas has one of the best offensive lines in the league, if not the best. Last year, Darren McFadden finished as the number 14 fantasy running back, despite not starting until week seven. Elliott's a good runner, and he can flourish behind great run blocking in Dallas. He's dynamic in space as a pass catcher. He's good at pass protection. This is a guy who, even as a rookie, can be a potential three-down workhorse running back on an offense that also features Des Bryant, which is going to keep defenses honest. And of course, there's risk. He's a rookie. We have no idea you know, if he's actually going to be a workhorse. But what are they going to do? Give the ball to... Darren McFadden or Alfred Morris I mean there's plenty of risk for any first round pick and I don't see why you shouldn't you know shoot for the stars well that's fair but in my first round pick I like to go with a little bit more certainty than a rookie who has never touched an NFL football has never seen the field has never taken a snap behind an NFL center uh, you, you can you can you know go for him do your thing but I, I I have him as low as nine and I have a hard time even have having him that high as, as a number running back uh, I can just have flashbacks of the running backs that I went in on early on Ryan Matthews his rookie year with with uh, San Diego Beanie Wells who completely fizzled out and is no longer part of the league the aforementioned Darren McFadden who was supposed to be the next big thing of course Trent Richardson who had a decent rookie year of course but then fell completely off the face of this earth and we to the point where we said that we'd never say his name again but I think I need to invoke the name when we're when we're saying to put Ezekiel Elliott at number two running back for this year Sure. I mean, obviously we haven't seen what he's capable of on the field in a live NFL game, but here's the thing. Is there really less risk just because we've seen running backs do it before? Doug Martin was being drafted crazy high in his second season. Adrian Peterson, two years ago, everybody had him top 10 as always, and then the whole domestic violence thing happens. Same with Ray Rice, LaShawn McCoy two years ago. In Philly, just absolutely fizzled. There's absolutely no safety, even in the first round. So I say, why not, again, shoot for the stars, aim for the guy who is in an offense, who could potentially eclipse 300 carries, and who could be, you know, a top five fantasy scorer this year. Yeah, it's, it's just hard to win when, when you're not getting that sort of production out of your first rounder. 
Yeah, I mean, there are no guarantees in life. There are no guarantees in fantasy. And, you know, I'm I'm putting my, uh, I'm planting my flag on Zeke Elliott, and I think that he's going to carry people to some championships this year. That's your boy. He is my boy. And, and similarly, who's not my boy, who apparently is your boy, is Devontae Freeman, because you've got him where I think is crazy high. Yeah, I have him at three. Um, I did have a little trouble having him up at three. So my ranks were Le'Veon Bill, Todd Gurley, and then three slash four was Freeman and Mark Ingram. Now, I like the opportunity that Ingram has. Phenomenal offense, but that ball is going to be spread around. Devontae Freeman this last year, though, showed that he has the opportunity to be a transcendental talent. Um, I Now, of course. Transcendent talent, I guess. Transcendental, yeah, whatever. Um, Tevin Coleman does loom, but but I and but even adjusting, um, just looking at these numbers, uh, Atlanta averaged six receptions per game to running back last year, which is uh, top ten for that. So he'll be getting a lot of. Even if you subtract one of those and give them to Tevin Coleman, even if you subtract two, he's getting plenty of opportunities to catch the football and make something happen. The only thing Tevin Coleman has on him is, is his speed. And Freeman was far and away so good last year. Julio Jones is going to be continue to take away uh, the defensive looks from him. He's going to be getting open fields. He's going to be getting a lot of yards, and he's going to get a lot of opportunities near the goal line when, when people key on Julio Jones to, to run it right in. See, here's my issue with what, what you just said. So number one, you, you did mention Tevin Coleman, and there are already reports surfacing that Atlanta wants to keep Freeman fresh, you know, spell him more often with Coleman. And while that may just be, you know, coach speak in the offseason so far, that doesn't change the fact that they did draft Coleman last year to be the starter, and Coleman was the starter until he got hurt. Uh, obviously Freeman made the most out of his opportunity and he did extremely well from a production standpoint, but you also have to remember that he had two games back to back with three touchdowns. That simply isn't going to happen. That, that bolstered his production a ton. And uh, to, to add to your point, um, when you said that Atlanta targets the running back a ton, look at what they had to work with. Look at what Matt Ryan had to work with. Uh, hopefully that offensive line gets better this year and he won't have to dump it off as much. And number two, they really didn't have anybody behind Julio Jones. Roddy White was a shell of himself last year and they really didn't have anyone else. Justin Hardy came on a little bit, but now they add Mohamed Sanu. Uh, They've got Austin Hooper, who may or may not make an impact in his rookie year, but I just don't see Freeman getting quite as many targets, and part of his value in PPR was the fact that Matt Ryan did dump it off to him so much. Now, you bring up the point that they intend to spell uh, Devontae Freeman a little more, give Col- Tevin Coleman a little time, and to, to counter that point, um, I just say that that reminds me of what they've done with Jamal Charles for the vast majority of his career, spelling him to keep him fresh, and he's... Uh, been a top five running back except for last year for as, as long as I can think of in relevant fantasy times. Uh, as a matter of fact, I think he's uh, got one of the highest yards per carry average of any running back of all time. Now, I, I know for a fact that, you know, something must have gotten messed up in the connection here because I know you did not just compare Devontae Freeman to Jamal Charles. Well, okay. Is, is his talent at that level? No. But is the opportunity there? Absolutely. Uh, I I just, I, I can't even put them in the same sentence, but I, I understand the point you're trying to make. 
I just think that Jamal Charles is far and away a much, much better talent than, than Devontae Freeman. And just because the opportunity is there for now doesn't mean it's not going to be a very split workload in which Freeman is not going to score nearly as much this year. Now let's not forget one extra point here. Okay. We're talking most, we're ta- we're doing PPR ranks, correct? I don't know if you introduced that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Sorry. Uh, for those of you listening, uh, we are talking PPR as we normally do. And now I didn't expect to have Freeman rank this high because I did expect to cut his number significantly, but he had 73 receptions last year. That's 73 extra points from receptions in all of Tevin, Tevin Coleman's time in there. Guess how many receptions he had? You mean in all of Tevin Coleman's rookie year in which he was injured for quite a few games? But how many games did he play? Uh, I don't know. You tell me. I will have to look that up. Well, Mung, Tevin Coleman actually played in 12 different games where he registered rushes in. And in all those 12 games, he amassed a total of two receptions. This is not a guy that they're going to be throwing the football to a ton instead of Devontae Freeman. That said... I cut back from Devontae Freeman, 73, and the point totals just were still astronomical. I couldn't drop him lower than third or fourth in the running back ranks. Wow, okay. Um, I I think you're just reading a little bit too much into a a guy who was a rookie and who was injured for different stretches of the season and never really got, uh, you know, built a good rapport with Matt Ryan. And certainly I I think Freeman will get more receptions than Coleman, but I don't think that Coleman's necessarily going to be shut out of the passing game either. Okie dokie. Speaking of another running back that uh, catches a lot of passes out of the backfield, Matt Forte, I believe you were a little low on him, correct? Yeah, I, uh, I am not a fan of Matt Forte in fantasy this year. He's, you know, obviously as Bears fans, I love... Where's your loyalty? I, I know, I know. And it's, it's so tough uh, seeing him in that ugly green and white. I mean, I don't know how you Jets fans out there do it. Um, but the point of the matter is Matt Forte was as valuable as he was in fantasy because he was the guy. He was the man... He had absolutely no competition in Chicago, but now Matt Forte is 30 years old. He's on a new team who, by the way, already pays another running back by the name of Bilal Powell quite a bit of money, almost as much as they are paying Matt Forte. And I want to bring something up real quick. Last year, Bilal Powell, speaking of running backs who caught a ton of passes, caught 47 balls despite only playing in, let's see, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, or 11 games. I don't see any reason why they're going to make Matt Forte a workhorse when Bilal Powell is almost a younger version of Forte. He is very good in both pass protection and receiving, and he's much quicker at this point because Matt Forte, while a reliable guy, is not as quick as he was when he entered the league. Okay. Okay. I I can see that. I can hear that. But I don't think I can drop him that far down the ranking. So I've got Matt Forte at running back number 11. You have him at where? I have have Matt Forte at running back 20. And, And the reason for that is I just don't see any situation where he's going to get nearly as high of a workload as he has in past seasons. And even last year on the Bears, they started rotating in Jeremy Langford, who I think is actually not as good of a running back as Blaw Powell. And Matt Forte only had 44 receptions last year. I sure. think that number is going to stay right around there, if not drop. 
Sure. I think that number will stay just about the, the same as that. Chris Ivory, who isn't known for his pass-catching skills, himself caught 30 passes last year. So I don't think there's going to be a dearth of balls for Matt Forte to catch. I think that will hold. I, I'm expecting somewhere in the 40 to 50 uh, balls caught for him range, prob probably sitting right about 44, just like last year. Um, but he, Matt Forte is, a, is, I mean, he's a better running back. He has better vision. He has better skills. Bilal Powell is, of course, younger. But you're going to have Matt Forte, uh, that, that, that veteran in there, for the big situations, for the big, for the big downs, for the goal line carries. Otherwise, you don't go out and go try to acquire him and, and add a veteran onto this team who's trying to compete right now. Now, they don't have a quarterback right now, which also adds to, adds to the fun. Um, is if Fitzpatrick comes in, then, then I expect to see a little more like the team was last year. If they do not end up acquiring Fitzpatrick and Geno Smith's on the team, then I think Matt Forte is going to be carrying a heavier load rushing the football. And see, that, that you kind of hit the nail on the head there, too, because the, my current rankings also project Geno Smith. I, I just don't know if they're going to get something done with Ryan Fitzpatrick, and I have zero faith in Geno Smith. I think that while he's a dual-threat quarterback, and that may or may not help Forte and Powell, the, the problem is he's turnover-prone, which means fewer scoring opportunities for the running backs. And I also don't think that he can sustain drives quite as well as Ryan Fitzpatrick, who by all means, is very overrated because of his fantasy production. Ryan Fitzpatrick certainly is not one of the top half of quarterbacks even in the NFL, I would say. But, no, but he's serviceable. But he's certainly an upgrade over Geno Smith. He makes and, good decisions with the football, and those are the important things for a running back. And, and here's my thing. It's not even the fact that Geno Smith might be bad this year if he is the starter. I think it's more so the uncertainty that Geno Smith himself may get pulled because then you're going to, you know, there's once you create that uncertainty at, you know, the quarterback, excuse me, the quarterback position, you basically change that entire offense. You make everyone relearn, uh, you know, what the quarterback is prone to do in certain situations. And my fear is that, if they don't sign Ryan Fitzpatrick back, Geno Smith may get pulled. Then who knows if we're going to see Bryce Petty, Christian Hackenberg. And I, I don't know. I, we've never seen anything from either of these guys. And that offense could be just a complete disaster. Well, barring an injury to another starting quarterback in the preseason to any other team, Ryan Fitzpatrick will play for the New York Jets. He's not going to sit there and, and let, even if it gets as low as 10, $10 $11 million, he's not going to sit there and let that money sit on the table. I don't know. Spite is a powerful, powerful emotion. Ah, yeah, but so's greed. That's very fair, but that's a uh, a different discussion for another day. I think uh, uh, ranking right. the uh, ranking the sins. We'll see. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. Wait, let's let's rank uh rank emotions. <laughs> that would be an inter interesting discussion, but I'm not sure uh, our current uh, audience wants to hear that right now. Uh, no, so so let's no, move on. Not. Let's move on from Matt Forte. Uh, you know, obviously, sure. we wish him the best as a former Bear. He will always be a Bear in our hearts, uh, and certainly, I will not be burning his jersey. We love you too, too. All right, so let's talk about one more running back real quick that we're actually both pretty high on. We don't actually disagree on this guy, but we just kind of want to highlight him because even though the hype is starting to rise, people are still not quite high enough on Duke Johnson. Correct. They, they are not dookie. 
So in, in PPR, you have Duke at 21, and I've got him at 24. And we actually heard a, a, a bit of, not news necessarily, but a little something happening in Cleveland today, too, that only kind of strengthens that. Sure. Uh, so, so of course, Isaiah Crowell, because uh, we only get the smartest of people entering into the NFL. Um, Isaiah Crowell thought it prudent to take to Twitter or Instagram or one of these other newfangled things that the kids use and post a picture at, at this of all times of a policeman being stabbed in the throat um, by a man in a hood. Now, clearly that was of poor taste. Um, Cleveland has not commented that much on it just yet. But just in the wake of all of this, in the wake of trying to distance themselves from controversy, getting away from Johnny football and all these things. I, I, I don't think this spells anything good for Isaiah Crowell's uh, career in Cleveland. Yeah, I, I think that Duke Johnson could even catch more balls than he did last year. Um, he could get more carries with Crowell maybe out of the picture. And uh, just another quick highlight while we're on the Cleveland situation um, I just want to bring up Terrell Watson. Uh, this is a guy who many people have not heard of. And actually, uh, if you're so inclined, Evan Silva posted a link to a great article about Watson, um, about how he struggled with reading disabilities, how, you know, how hard he's had to work to make it through school and make it into the NFL. But more importantly, this is a guy with an incredible memory who coaches have praised for being able to pick apart defensive formations from tape, from memory, and this is a guy who's, you know, built, I want to say, very similar to Jeremy Hill. So let me read you these stats real quick. Obviously, oh just, uh, just, just height and weight, nothing, you know, no in-depth analysis of their running style. But Jeremy Hill here is six foot one and 235 pounds. And in Cincinnati, who, uh, where Hugh Jackson used to be the offensive coordinator, Jeremy Hill kind of played that bruiser role. Um, you know, in in sync with Giovanni Bernard. Now, Terrell Watson is built quite similarly. He is also six foot one. Um, and let's see, what is his weight? Watson is two forty two. So actually, has a few pounds on Hill. And if for some reason Crowell loses that starting job, we could very well see Terrell Watson on the field. Uh, he is one of the first guys that Cleveland signed after hiring Hugh as their head coach. Yeah, I, th I think that's an excellent comp right there. Um, we'll, we'll have to see, of course, the, the position battles and see how he makes it through training camp. But you brought up the, an excellent point, which I was, if you weren't going to, Hugh Jackson just joined the team. He's had success in Cincinnati. He's going to try and replicate that exact formula with this Cleveland offense. Yeah, and by the way, loves to run, run, run the football. Of course, uh, running backs all day. There will be increased rushes, increase, uh, increased uh, passes to rushers. And I guess on the flip side of things, it, he's going to try and turn Corey Coleman into A.J. Green, I guess, huh? Uh, I wouldn't go quite that far. Uh, he'll certainly try, but uh, we'll, see. we'll see how that works out. Yeah, we, we will. I'm, I bet it's going to go just as successfully as any other Cleveland football uh, venture. I guess I, we can't rag on Cleveland anymore now that they're NBA championship, NBA champions. So they have something going now. Yeah, something. We don't need to talk about that, though. No, 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 no. And Cleveland okay. does rock. They have that, too. All right. Well, let's move on then to wide receivers. Um, and wide one, outs? One guy that I wanted to bring up. Uh, I see that you are 
quite low on Brandon Cooks, considering we're talking PPR ranks. Mm-hmm. You've got where? Let's see. You have Cooks at what? Sixteen? Is that right? Sixteen for me. Wide receiver sixteen, and I have Cooks at wide receiver eight. And uh, I think that sixteen isn't necessarily ridiculous, but here's why I'm sky high on Brandon Cooks. This is a guy who can make those Odell Beckham type catches. His athleticism is off the charts. And last year, he had almost 1,200 yards and eight touchdowns. I don't see any reason why he can't repeat that, given that last season, Cooks was basically the only really serviceable target for a while until Willie Sneed kind of broke out. And now they've added weapons in Michael Thomas and Kobe Fleener, and obviously Drew Brees does like to spread the ball around. However, I would argue that in a high-powered offense whose defense is still very, very shoddy, the Saints are going to be in plenty of shootouts. Drew Brees is going to throw that ball, and with the additional weapons that New Orleans has added now, Cooks is going to get wide, wide open down the field. Sure, I don't disagree with that, but I think just like I talked up uh, Drew Brees before, I think this is going to go back to that formula that, that we saw before. Cooks did have a phenomenal season. Uh, well, not phenomenal. He, he, I mean, he underperformed compared to a lot of people's projections for last year, but he actually turned it into, I believe, a top 20 season. Am I wrong? You are not wrong. Yeah, he, he, I mean, a lot of people probably don't think that, a lot of our listeners, because he started off so slowly. Um, but I think w- what the issue here that I have with Brandon Cooks and ranking him highly is, is that Willie Sneed looked so effective last year. And Thomas, with another year in this offense, is going to elevate himself. And and they have a significantly better pass-catching tight end this year than they had last year in Kobe Flaner. So those balls are going to have to go his way as well. This is all cutting down on the pass on the passing yardage total on the receiving yardage total that Brandon Cooks is going to be able to uh, reel in, and Mark Ingram is is no joke at the goal line or or catching passes. So Cooks is going to have a very good year, um, but but I just don't see him elevating himself past a past a top fifteen sort of tight end or uh, wide receiver. Yeah, but you have to remember that Cooks had these stats even when Drew Brees missed a game last year. This is a guy who, you know, back back in the day when we weren't used to wide receivers breaking out in their first or second years, usually they took, you know, three or four years to really reach their ceiling. And I think that last year, Brandon Cooks broke out, but at the same time, he's not even close to the ceiling. I think that, I'm not saying that there's a high likelihood, but I would not be shocked if this time next year in Dynasty Leagues, we were talking about Brandon Cooks on a near Odell Beckham level. Oh, I, I don't know if we can do that because I don't know how many years Drew Brees has left in the tank. If Tom Brady can play until what we're saying is age 40, age 41, and a lot of, in a lot of uh, online forums that I'm seeing, I see absolutely no reason why Brandon Cooks, or excuse me, why Drew Brees cannot do the same. Yeah, that's that's a good point. But I mean, just Drew Brees has a lot more surrounding Brandon Cooks than Tom Brady. I mean, well, it's not a real comp there because we're not comparing a Cooks to anybody in the Patriots. But the talent around Cooks has elevated themselves to the point where they're going to be cutting into his into his uh, points. I understand that. I just yeah. think that the Saints are going to chuck the ball plenty, and even with the targets split up a lot, I think that Cooks is going to break some big plays in that offense. Yeah, I don't hate him in the top ten, but but I don't have him there. Okay, fair. 
Um, on the flip side, you have somebody close to your top 10 who I have way, way down the list, and that is Brandon Marshall. I think you are just self-loathing. You hate Bears or people that have left the Bears. You, you, you don't like Matt Forte. You don't like Brandon Marshall. I just don't get it. Brandon Marshall had an, a, a great season again last year. Um, I believe he was top five. Um, and once again, he showed that he is that dynamic talent that performs no matter who the quarterback is. I don't really care if it's Geno Smith back there. He did this with Chad Henney. He did this with all those Dolphins quarterbacks that were absolutely garbage. He is a performer. He makes balls happen. He makes points happen. And he wins championships. Yeah, I, I don't know if I just have some sort of subconscious bias to players who have left the Bears for greener pastures. <laughs> Greg Olson. Um, <laughs> I just... I cannot wrap my head around the fact that I don't know if Ryan Fitzpatrick is going to be at the helm of that offense. And I think that's why I've lowered Forte, Marshall, and Decker in all of my rankings. Yeah, Decker for me is a bigger question mark. Uh, I think even if Fitz isn't there, Marshall still holds definite top 20 value. But but I do have... uh, have uh, Oh my gosh, what's his name? Decker lower. If if, uh, Fitz magic isn't there and it is geno smith decker almost falls off the face of the earth right and here's here's the other thing same reason why i'm also low on decker uh do we really expect brandon marshall to catch another 14 touchdowns this year i understand that he's a big target and the number one target in that offense but at the same time that just seems absolutely insane for him to match his career high uh, and prior to that, we're forgetting that two years ago, he did miss quite a few games due to injury. He's getting up there. Uh, the guy is 32 years old now. And I just, I don't know. I don't see that offense being anywhere near as good if Ryan Fitzpatrick does not come back. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's not really a point of contention that I have, but I think it's completely within, within realm of possibilities for him to put 11, 1200 yards again and another nine, 10 touchdowns. Okay, I just think that there's enough uncertainty there that I don't have him as a wide receiver one. I think a wide receiver two is perfectly valid for him, and I just think that there's more risk associated with Marshall than most people are you know, giving him credit for. I mean, in that range that I have him in, there definitely could be arguments made for other players, definitely, um, especially this year at wide receiver, but that's another discussion for another day. Okay, well, why don't we start, uh, or excuse me, not start, but move on to another guy then. Um, sure. I I like Devontae Parker a lot. Um, I have him right now in my wide receiver ranks at wide receiver 25. Yes, you do. Um, I've got him a little lower. I don't have quite as much faith in Tannehill as you seem to or, or whatever that situation is in Miami. I, I think more so than Tannehill, I have faith in Adam Gase because speaking of Brandon Marshall, uh, Look at what he did with Adam Gase, the years that Gase was in Chicago. So why can't we expect the exact same from a guy who's, what, a decade younger than Brandon Marshall, uh, just as physically talented, if not more, and a guy who really started breaking out at the end of last season in a season that by all means was basically a disaster for Miami? Well, for for two reasons that I'll give you. One, Devontae Parker is not Brandon Marshall and will never be Brandon Marshall. And for two, Brian Tannehill is no Jay Cutler. 
I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Um, but I, I just think that it's ridiculous that people are still treating Devontae Parker like he needs to break out when you look at the last six games of the season when he really had a chance to start. And he was phenomenal. The plays that he made, and obviously there were some drops and some issues, some chemistry uh, you know, that he still had to build with Ryan Tannehill. But certainly, I don't think that it's far-fetched to say that Parker can be the wide receiver one over Jarvis Landry. Sure. Um, now, now, given that Jarvis Landry, uh, Jarvis Landry catches a lot of passes, the way that I see this Miami offense playing out from a pass-catcher standpoint is that Tannehill is going to continue to be spreading the ball around getting most of his ball, getting most of the throws to Jarvis Landry. And for that reason, I can't have Devontae Parker that high. He's going to be finding the tight end. He's going to be finding other receivers. And he's going to continue almost in the same vein as Drew Brees of spreading the ball out. If Drew Brees is Pepsi, then Ryan Tannehill's offense is going to be like mm, Coke Zero. You mean RC Cola? <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not debating the fact that Jarvis Landry is still going to be that safety blanket, and he's still going to be one of Tanhill's favorite targets. All I'm saying is, I think that the offense in general is going to ramp up. Uh, they're losing Lamar Miller, and regardless of whether you think Jai is going to be really good or not, the fact is they're going to throw that ball a ton. And even though Jarvis Landry may get more targets, I think that the most important targets, those being the red zone targets, are going to go to Devontae Parker. Sure. It's, it's very plausible. But, I mean, everybody knows Griff Whalen from what he did in the Super Bowl. He's now with Miami, so he's going to have a very important role, I'm sure. Kenny Stills is still alive. <laughs> I can't tell if that was sarcasm or not. Yeah, that was that was sarcasm. Okay, because you sounded dead serious when you were saying it. And I was a little concerned there for but a minute. But you remember Griff Whalen, right? You oh, of course. Most, I, I remember him uh, also trying that terrible. What, what was it? Uh, some sort of terrible trick play that uh, Pep Hamilton tried uh, against New England with Griff Whalen, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was a fake punt where the entire punt team was was to the right side, spread on <laughs> the field, right. and he in the center was all the way on the left hash. And they were supposed to just kill the play. The ball should have never been snapped, but he called for it. They snapped him the ball, and I, I believe he fumbled. He, he took a loss for sure, but I think he actually fumbled also. So what you're saying is I, I should be moving Griff Whalen up my ranks. I, I, I didn't see him on your ranks. <laughs> well, that is for a good reason, sir. There we go. So... You hate Devontae Parker. Um, that's fine. I've, I've come to accept <laughs> that. And uh, it, it seems like you also hate uh, one of my favorite, favorite rookies this year, who I think if Ezekiel Elliott is not the rookie of the year, this guy will be. And that's Sterling Shepard, who is my wow, wide those, receiver those 27. Wow, that, that's a lot right there. Yeah, I've got him down down in the mid-30s. Uh, I may have him a little lower. I think he's a little pre-hyped for me right now, but he's going to skyrocket way too high in, in the rankings, just like every rookie wide receiver does every year. But, but let's hear your take on him. Uh, I, I'm going to let you finish, but Sterling Shepard is going to be one of the most incredible rookie wide receiver seasons ever. Why? Well, okay. First off, I, I love his talent. From watching his tape, I, I think that this is a guy who is athletic, and uh, also he has great timing, and he runs very sharp routes. Uh, with a veteran quarterback like Eli Manning, this is exactly what you need to gain his trust. We can always remember bad Eli, 
But sometimes we forget that bad Eli happened because he had absolutely no talent around him and people were running the incorrect routes, which resulted in a ton of those interceptions. So l- l- let me tell you this. Ruben Randall last year had 57 catches, just under 800 yards, and 8 touchdowns on 90 targets. Ruben Randall is also a terrible wide receiver. (laughs) I see absolutely no reason that Sterling Shepard isn't going to get right around 100 targets in that Giants offense. And we we can all remember that Ben McAdoo, who is running, uh, or excuse me, actually is the head coach now, was also the former offensive coordinator in Green Bay. Being Bears fans, we're very aware of that. Mm -hmm. And I see incredible similarities between Sterling Shepard and Randall Cobb, who, by the way, even as a number two wide receiver, has put up some incredible wide receiver two and close to wide receiver one seasons in PPR. This is... Sorry. No, go ahead. Now, one thing to, to that point that I can't recall is ever seeing Eli Manning, Manning generate two fantasy-relevant wide receivers in the same year. Well, name me the last time that Eli Manning had Odell Beckham Jr. and Sterling Shepard. True. Odell Beckham Jr. is a transcendent talent. That, that's without a shadow of a doubt. Um, but, but he did have many years where he had Victor Cruz in his prime when he was very good, when he was salsaing all over the place. And uh, who else? Oh, my gosh. I can't think of his name. He fell off. Hakeem, uh, was it Hakeem Nix who was really good? Yeah, but I would argue that both Cruz and Nix, at the height of their production, talent-wise, were not even close to Odell Beckham. And honestly, I think I would agree with that. Right, and honestly, I think that Sterling Shepard is a better pure talent than either of those guys because Victor Cruz, even though he produced from a fantasy standpoint, he was always more of a slot receiver, which, to, granted, so is Sterling Shepard. But I think that Shepard is a much more dynamic receiver as well. Yeah, I, I, I like him. I wanted to get him higher in my ranks, but I couldn't justify moving him up just yet. Okay, that's fair. And I think that, you know, if you're in any sort of dynasty leagues right now, or if you're doing MFL 10s, I think that now is the time to capitalize on people still sleeping on Sterling Shepard. Top three pick? Not quite, but I actually, uh, I just did an MFL 10 uh, this past week, and I took him in, I believe, the sixth round? No, no, I mean rookie, dynasty. Oh, um, top three, top four. Um, okay, okay. Right around where I, I could see him being as high as two if you really loved him. Sounds and, like you do. And as low as six or seven. I don't, I don't think that he can drop past six or seven. There's just, there's not enough talent in this draft. Okay. I, uh, there's, there's been a lot of, lot of really, really good wide receivers entering the NFL these past few years. Yep. And uh, one of their names is Sterling Shepard. That's right. All right. So uh, let's get back to redraft a little dynasty talk there just because it's the off season. Yeah, um, why not? All right. Well, let's move on to tight ends. Sure. So you have Gronk way too high at number one. I'm just kidding. I'm totally kidding there. Uh, oh, let's get out of here. You, you of course, the Gronk is tight on one. Uh, no questions asked there. Um, but what about his new partner in crime, Martellus Bennett? So here's where I'm going to dispute your theory that I hate all ex-Bears players. <laughs> because I have Martellus Bennett at tight end eight. That's pretty darn high. 
That's that's a starting tight end for a number two tight end. That's absolutely a starting tight end. Where do you have him? I I, I have him a tad lower. I may have him a little low, but I, I just couldn't justify moving him that much higher. I've got him down at 19 right now. Um, arguably, I'd bump him above Charles Clay and probably Dwayne Allen, given all of Allen's uh, injury concerns. But I sort of didn't feel like moving it around that much since none of those numbers are starting tier tight ends regardless. Uh, no, I'm not sure if you were like drunk or high or playing Pokemon Go while you were doing your tight end <laughs> rankings. But Martellus Bennett at tight end 19 is one of the most ridiculous things I've heard in 2016. Okay. Um, I, I just don't understand. Uh, of course, Gronk is the, the tight end one in that offense, the number one target, but who cares? Julian Edelman, uh, Danny and Mandola both had off-season surgery. Um, their recoveries will obviously uh, impact the new, uh, the new England offense, but more importantly... Even if they are both fully healthy, here's the, here's the New England wide receiver depth chart right now. Yeah, Edelman is five foot ten. Danny Amendola is five foot eleven. Malcolm Mitchell is five foot eleven, and Chris Hogan six foot one. Uh, now I'm not uh, you know a height biased person. I think there are plenty of incredibly talented wide receivers who are below six feet. But at the same time, uh, Julian Edelman scored seven touchdowns last year. Uh, a career high. Now you give Brady Martellus Bennett, who's six foot six and two hundred and seventy pounds, and there have already been reports, uh, you know, even in the offseason during minicamp, where Brady has been working with Martellus Bennett one on one in practice, doing red zone drills. And let's not forget that last year Scott Chandler caught four touchdowns despite only catching twenty three passes. I, I can easily see Bennett getting at least you know, 60, maybe 70 targets. And a lot of those are going to come in the red zone. And while Bennett's yardage total might not be that impressive, I think that double digit touchdowns isn't out of the question. Okay. Okay. Now, now my counter is multifaceted here. Um, number one, Tom Brady is suspended heading into this year for four games. And this time around, I expect that suspension to hold up. That means that we're going to be dealing with four games of Jimmy Garoppolo, uh, which means a quarter of your fantasy season, not count. Well, actually, that's counting the playoffs. A third of your regular fantasy season, you'd be starting Martellus Bennett, the number two tight end on the team, with Jimmy Garoppolo at quarterback. That is very much not a very good situation. Not that he's a terrible quarterback. But Tom Brady, he is not. As a matter of fact, he's in, he would definitely be in the bottom 10 quarterbacks starting in this league, and we don't have to get into that discussion. Number two, uh, why reinvent the wheel? Bill Belichick had astronomical success getting the ball in the hands of his running backs, getting the ball in the hands of his wide receivers. Of course, you bring on Martellus Bennett as, a, as another weapon, but Martellus Bennett has not been a part of this offense, and it's a very complex offense that the Patriots run. A lot going on. A lot of different playmakers. They threw the ball to James White 40 times last year. They threw the ball to Deion Lewis. I think it was 30 times or something. And it'd be a lot more, yeah, 36 times last year. And it would have been a lot more if he stayed on the field. And you have LeGarrette Blount to pound the ball in when you need him. You don't need to add Martellus Bennett as a focal point of the offense. And I, and I definitely do not expect that to happen. It's, we're not seeing the second coming of Aaron Hernandez and Gronkowski pairing up. We're seeing an additional piece thrown in to to assist the offense not not a focal point and uh, and number three i i viewed bennett more as a sort of guy who i would add to my team if grant got injured i mean 
most definitely, without question. If I'm owning Gronk on my team, I will probably try and handcuff him with Martellus Bennett. But that said, if I don't have him, if I and if I'm just banking on Gronk getting hurt and then then starting Bennett, I, I don't see him being better than ten other tight ends in this league. Um, especially when there's so much new tight end talent. I mean, you've got the youth in in uh, Julius Thomas. Uh, you've got Gary Barnage who came on so huge last year. I, I can't justify putting him in the, in a top ten, which would be a definite starting tight end. Hmm. All right. Well, here's my response to these three points, uh, because you're a stupid face. Um, and those <laughs> points made no sense. Uh, because, all right, what was your first point again? Garoppolo. Okay. First off, do you remember in The Dark Knight where Bruce Wayne says, I believe in Harvey Dent? Well, I believe in Jimmy G. Because what was the quote that you loved saying all of last season on the podcast? Who is a young quarterback's Cooks best Cooks friend? Oh. oh, sorry. Was it a different thing? Yeah, I, I believe you continue to repeat that a tight end is a young quarterback's best friend. Now, Gronk is going to be there, and he's going to soak up those targets. But at the same time, who do you think Jimmy Garoppolo is going to look to after that? You think that he's going to have all the timing routes down pat, down pat with Julian Edelman and Deion Lewis already? Or do you think that he's going to throw it to the second biggest target on that team and let them go up and get it? And that is Martellus Bennett. Uh, number two, I believe you said that the Patriots run a very complex offense and that Martellus Bennett is going to be a supplemental piece to that. Uh, it was the, the bigger point was right, why reinvent the wheel, keep running your offense through your running backs. Sure, but here's the thing. We don't know that Deion Lewis is going to be healthy. We don't know that Julian Edelman's going to be healthy. James and White played very well in Deion Lewis's place. That's quite debatable, uh, number one. And number two, I understand that. Uh, and I'm not saying that Bennett is by any means going to be the focal point of that offense. But at the same time, he doesn't need to be. All, I th all I'm saying is I think that Bennett is going to be quite an integral piece to the red zone offense. And again, that's the most important part to me. Uh, now, what was that third and final point that you mentioned? Oh, uh, that, that one would have been um, he's more of a replacement when Grant goes down more so than anything else. Okay. And, and certainly I, I think that's very true. But at the same time, I think that Bennett is sort of like a Charles Sims uh, comparison if you're going to compare running backs to tight ends. I think that Bennett is going to have enough standalone value uh, as a low-end tight end one, high-end tight end two, but also I have him at tight end eight, not only because I think he's going to score well, but also because I do think that his value, he could be a league winner if anything happens to Gronk. And I think that the, the level of production that he would give you in that instance is completely, completely, you know, you can't find that in any other tight end. But how many points are you expecting while Gronk's in the game? I think that Bennett can be, I would say he would average seven, eight points in PPR. And you then, think so? I, I guess as an average, that that's probably a reasonable reasonable projection but how I, I consistent think, do you I think, think that that's is? a I think decent that's, that's seven points when you're looking at 20 and then a, a few weeks of one or two. Oh, I, I think you're i think we're on different pages here i think that's his floor because i see him oh. contributing maybe 
three to four catches a game for at least 30 yards or so. Um, And I think that on the weeks where he does score a touchdown or maybe even more, then those are weeks that he's going to help win for you. Okay, okay. You don't have to get angry about it. (laughs) I'm very passionate when it comes to defending the fact that I don't hate all ex-Chicago Bears players. Um, Clearly, I'm very high on Martellus Bennett. Yeah, I thought you were a Charmander guy. I guess you you like unicorns better. (laughs) Only when they're black unicorns. That's right. All right, uh, so what's another tight end here that we're kind of far apart on? Well, you were way too high on on the new acquisition of the Pittsburgh Steelers, Lardarius Green. Oh, where do you have him? I have him down at 16, also in the mid to late teens. Oh, man. Uh, You are definitely on something when you're doing your tight end rankings. Yeah, Uh, I'll tell you that. I'm I'm on something called a dose of reality is, is what I'm on. All right. Oh, I've got Ladarius Green at tight end seven, a slot above Martellus Bennett. Um, <laughs> and I, I don't I don't understand how you're so low on both of these guys because well, you're just averse to tight end production. I think. No, I, I think I think we're approaching this differently. Where I'm all about the ceiling when it comes to quarterbacks and tight ends because there are so many replacement level talents at those positions, and, okay. and I, I don't understand what there isn't you know what's not to love about ladarius green in pittsburgh dynasty owners uh, i'll tell you this dynasty fantasy owners have been complaining for years that ladarius green hasn't gotten enough snaps playing behind antonio gates uh, because san diego obviously has gates as their tight end one now green gets the cast catch passes from ben roethlisberger on one of the most high-powered offenses in the league who, uh, which, by the way, just lost Martavis Bryant to suspension this year. The last three seasons, Heath Miller has averaged over nine points a game in PPR. Last year, Miller finished as a mid-end tight end two in his age 33 season, even though he was basically a checkdown option for Ben Roethlisberger. Now, we're talking about upgrading from Heath Miller, the dad runner, at age 33. (laughs) The dad runner. (laughs) That's what he is. Uh, You know, to Ladarius Green, who ran a 4-5-3-40, despite being 6'6 and 240 pounds, which, incidentally, is very similar build to Martellus Bennett, I will have you know. I just I, I expect Green to get plenty of targets downfield because... Bryant's gone. Uh, we we have yet to see if Coates or Wheaton is going to replace him, and I don't think either is going to replace you know the exact production. And I think that yeah, Miller's you know Miller was Pittsburgh's you know big red zone threat. Uh, obviously, Antonio Brown's going to get his, but I, I don't see any any way Ladarius Green isn't at least a tight end one. And bonus points for Green. Uh, Roethlisberger has already said this offseason that he would like Pittsburgh to go for more two-point conversions and you know where do you think he's going to throw that ball well he's going to throw the ball to Marcus Wheaton and Sammy Coates that's where he's going to throw the ball and a lot to Le'Veon Bell a lot more than he did last year that's for sure Bell only saw the ball uh, from a receiving standpoint now of course Bell was hurt a vast majority of the time but Bell only caught the football 24 times last year. Well, he was also hurt. Exactly. That, that's what I'm saying. He, with, with being hurt, Pittsburgh only targeted running backs 
four times per game last year. That is bound to increase vastly. Uh, ben Roethlisberger loves throwing the football to Le'Veon Bell. But let's let's take Bell out of the equation and focus only on Ladarius Green. Okay, uh, for one. Ladarius Green, fan, dynasty owners have been waiting for him to break out and surpass the old man Antonio Gates, who has, who three years ago was past his prime. Um, was Ladarius Green able to go up and take the job from him? No, he did the exact opposite. Uh, even last year, when Antonio Gates was on his last legs, was hobbled half the season. Antonio Gates was a far more effective tight end than Green was. I don't know if it's a playbook issue. I don't know if it's if it's just a gameplay issue. But sometimes the measurables just don't add up to an effective football player. I don't expect his numbers to be much better than Heath Miller's, and I, I've liked Heath Miller a lot every year because you can get him for absolutely nothing and get him to fill in for you on weeks that you need to fill buys of your tight ends. And that's the exact same kind of player that I think Ladarius Green is going to be. How many do you think Ladarius Green has more injuries suffered in the, in his career or more games active for in the last year in in his career? Look, I under, I understand that Green's missed time due to injury, but I, I can't hold against him the fact that he was playing behind Antonio Gates, a guy who's going to be a Hall of Famer. And a guy who caught Philip Rivers' first ever touchdown, and and Rivers is always going to go to Gates. The, uh, Green never had a real shot. Sure, sure. Uh, he, I mean, he did though because Gates was hurt, and Green did not really impress anybody last year. I don't know what Pittsburgh saw other than measurables to to give him this kind of contract, and I don't think he's even seen the field yet for Pittsburgh because he ended last year on the IR again, and he missed all of OTAs because of that ankle injury. Yeah, and those are certainly valid points, but uh, but I think you know past the top tier of tight ends or the top two tiers, if we're gonna put Gronk in his own tier, I really think that it's kind of a crapshoot, which you know you and I have discussed in the past. But right. I think that at that point you're drafting for ceiling, and I think that green ceiling is sky high. So so in other words, you're gonna draft. It this is very similar to drafting Julius Thomas last year, I guess is one way to look at it. Would you agree? Sure. And I, I think that Julius Thomas did great. And once he came back and certainly, you know, injury risk is a risk, but at the same time, you know, those are the guys who can also win you weeks. That's why Jordan Reed is still getting drafted so high, despite his incredibly comprehensive injury history. Sure, I agree. And the only difference between those guys and, and Ladarius Green is that I'm still waiting for him to show me a glimmer of the ability to excel at the next level. Okay, that's very fair. But I, I think that if he stays healthy, he could have a Jordan Reed-esque season. Ooh, oh, boy. Uh, I think if he stays healthy, he'll be tight end seven, right where you put him. I, I think he could be the tight end two if he plays more than 14 games. Wow, that's... Well, I mean, he could. I mean, the perfect storm could happen. Jordan Reed could, uh, the, the next concussion could get him, and that could knock him out of it completely. Greg Olson, uh, I, I don't see him surpassing Greg Olson. I don't, I don't see there's a, that there's any way that could happen. But I could see him justifiably making number three or four tight end if everything breaks his way. Okay, I will, I will, accept, uh, I will accept that from you. <laughs> and that's everything. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that covers most of the players that we were, you know, quite far apart on. Obviously, we have yeah, we our... got a little heated on probably like the least important one we discussed. <sighs> Who's that? Ladarius Green. 
I don't. I disagree. I, I think that he deserves quite a bit of uh, uh, discussion, given that he has such a high ceiling, as we just mentioned. All right, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can clearly see that tight ends are going to be a, a hot topic this year between you and me. Not really, because I'm just going to take Gronk in the first round every draft, and it won't really be a question. Yeah, you, you know, I I think that he's been dropping to the second in just about every draft that I've seen. I just don't understand it, but that, that's all the better for me. I'll take him in the second if he's there. Particularly now that you have a very secure handcuff in Martellus Bennett. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> just saying. <laughs> all right. Well, that is about to, uh, that's going to pretty much wrap up the show. Uh, again, it is mid-July, so there's not all that much to talk to. Uh, but we you know, still wanted to let you wet your whistle a little bit. We know that some of you are just starved for fantasy talk in the summer and certainly uh we will be ramping this up in the coming months once training camp begins and uh until then we hope that uh you are having a great summer stay safe have fun and uh as always uh i am at ffa underscore mung that's m-e-n-g on twitter and and this is the los at ffa underscore los it's Great to be back. I can't tell you how, how fun it is to be talking fantasy football again with you, Mung. And, and Dan, in the background, I know, I know you're doing your job. You're doing great, great work for us. So thank you very much. Um, like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. Uh, and please go ahead and uh, click subscribe if you haven't already in the iTunes store or in your, iPod, uh, in your podcasting, the little purple app on your iPhone, tablet, all those, all those nice things. Um, so, uh, it's, it's been a slice. It's been a lot, been a good time. Glad to be back. And as always, it's a fantasy world and we're all just addicts in it. Thanks addicts.